originally it was uh, observed on May 30th until 1971. In 1971, it was moved to the last Monday in May. It is known also as Decoration Day because when it began May 5th in, 19, in 1866, excuse me, in Waterloo, New York, the idea was to decorate with flowers the graves of those who had given their lives in battle to defend our nation in the conflict. And so in relationship to that, it has kind of uh, evolved over the years, uh, changing in 
became overworked and mistreated, and, and they suffered a great deal. And in relationship to that, they began to cry out to God for help. They began to pray to God and ask God to meet a need in their life because they were, were ill-treated, they were suffering, uh, they were overburdened, they were overworked, and, and they needed some relief. And so God responds to their prayer and to their call for help. And he raises up a great leader. His name is Moses. And we know there's a whole, whole storyline about Moses and his life. Uh, and about his hesitation to be God's great leader and, and his underestimation uh, of how God could work in his life. And, and there's a whole sermon or maybe a series of sermons that we could preach about how we often underestimate how God can work in our lives. How we often feel like we're inadequate or incapable or, or unable to do something and we forget that it's God who works in us to accomplish those things. But, but that's not what we're going to focus on today. The book of Exodus explains about how God used Moses and how God set about to free his people. And he sends Moses down to the existing Pharaoh, and, and he, he challenges him and says, God has said to let my people go. And we know the story. It unfolds this way, and that is Pharaoh says, no, it's not going to happen. Not letting God's people go. And so God says, okay, I need to get his attention. And so he sets about a series of plagues. And, and those ten plagues are recorded in Exodus chapter 7 through 11. And we see those plagues being recorded, and they become more and more severe uh, as the process goes. And instead of it being a motivation for Pharaoh to let God's people go, his heart is hardened, and he becomes more and more obstinate. He becomes more and more uh, opposed to, to letting God's people go. He kind of, as we would say today, digs his heels in, and he will not let go. And every time a plague comes and, and goes, it's, it's just like he just gets more and more entrenched and more entrenched, and, and it's not going to happen. They're not going to let God's people go until we come to the tenth and final plague. And God is going to free his people. And we know the tenth and the final plague plague is Passover. And we know that God comes and He gives instruction to His people. And He says, if you will follow these steps and do these things, then He says, there will be a death angel who will visit. And, and anyone that is not, who has not obeyed and followed these steps will lose the firstborn of their household. But anyone who has obeyed and followed these instructions will be spared. And thus the passing angel, the death angel passing over that home is why we refer to it as the Passover feast. In relationship to that, there is a feast or, or a, a memorial or a celebration that has been established for all time to remember the hand of God. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, and that's where we want to focus today in regards to God's Word in this message. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, Now this day will be a memorial to you. Understand it? It's a memorial day. This was established all the way back in the Old Testament Scripture. Memorial Day that began in 1866 uh, in Waterloo, New York, was not the first memorial day. The first memorial day that we see established here in God's Word. Now this day will be a memorial to you. 
celebrated as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Hear that? The voice of God says this is something to be permanently, continually celebrated, a memorial service to remember and, and to honor God for what He's done from now on. There's no end to this. This is a continual, ongoing process that he's talking about. The time had come for the Hebrews to be brought out of slavery into a new, thrilling freedom that they were going to experience. Exodus 12 describes the right that was established in connection with this victorious freedom that they were going to experience. And so there's three things that I want to see about that today. This first is this preparation. There was a lot of preparation that went into this. It is defined that God would make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Between his people, his believers, and his followers, and those who were not. Now here's what I want you to note about this. It didn't matter how much money they had. It didn't matter if they were free or if they were slave. Nothing mattered except for one thing. In the preparation, in the instruction that he had, anyone who would have followed God's direction, the firstborn would have been The only distinction that he made between those who would be saved and those who would not was in relationship to obedience to him and the blood of the Lamb. That's the only distinction. It's the only difference. It's like us today. We have to understand that there's no difference between us and, and sinners in the world except for one thing. We've been covered by the blood. It's the only difference. We're, we're just like them. We have faults and failures and weaknesses. We, we stumble and we sin. But we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And he said, this is the only distinction. Is, is that if you will obey me and be covered by the blood of the Lamb, on the lintel, the doorpost above and on the side then you will be spared. You will be saved. That they translates to us today. We are covered by the blood of God. And we will be spared. It's interesting as we look at the comparison that lamb was to be less than one year old. It was to be brought into the home. Do you understand that? There's there's preparation here. There's instruction. The lamb wasn't just, they didn't go out in the, you know, the corral or the little field or whatever. And no, they, they selected the lamb. They looked that there were no blemishes. No, nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Had to be less than a year old, but it wasn't a newborn. Kind of interesting. And, uh, and it was to be brought into the home. It, it was kind of like brought in to be a pet. There was a relationship that began to be established between the family and that lamb. That an interesting correlation between our relationship with the Lord. There's a relationship established. This lamb came to live in the house for a period of time in preparation for what was about to take place. And then at the designated time, the lamb was to be slain and it was to be sacrificed. There was a meal that would be prepared and the blood of the lamb was to be saved. And then they were to take the branch of a hyssop tree, and they were to take that branch and to dip it into the blood of the lamb, and they were to spread it on each side of the door, all three above and down the side of the door. And, and in relationship to that, then they enjoyed the meal. It's interesting, the preparation, that he says they were to, to use unleavened bread. He used 
our communion today. He says that they were to eat the meal standing up. They didn't sit down. They didn't recline at the table. They were to eat the meal standing up. And so he was establishing all of this preparation. He was giving them all of these instructions. These are the things that you were to do and to follow and obey. Why? Simply because God had a plan. And God's plan is to be followed by God's plan is to be carried out without question in our life. God's plan should, should be the plan that we desire and what we want. And when I think about salvation, He's given us a plan of salvation. He's given us the gospel instruction of what it takes for us to be saved, and we simply need to follow the plan. They had to follow the plan. Why do we need standing up? Why, why do we eat unleavened bread? Why, why do we take the blood and put it on the door? Because it was the instruction of God. There was a meaning and, and a symbol and a, a correlation behind every one of those things, but simply it was the instruction of God. And because it is the instruction of God, they're to follow it. Because God's given us the gospel plan of salvation, we're to follow it. If he says that I'm to repent and confess that he is the Son of God, the Lord, the Savior of my life, if he says that I'm to be buried in the water of baptism in a, in a resemblance of his burial, resurrected and walking in the newness of life, then I follow that instruction. I do what God has instructed me to do within his word. And so as they were preparing for this, as they were doing what God had instructed them to do, they were entering into a covenant relationship with Him, and it was a memorial feast that was to be shared for all time. And notice what He said, generation to generation. That this is something that is, is to be shared to the future. And so others will know about this, your children, your grandchildren, and their children, on down the line that we not forget. And that's the second thing I want you to see is the application. I think we can spend all day or even several days observing all of the application instructions in the text. We won't do that today. Don't, don't panic. My wife will hear those things called. This is going to be a long one, right? No. But, but listen, there are things that we need to know and understand. The Lamb and the introduction of the Lamb, we go back to the message of what did Abraham say to Isaac as he placed him on the altar? He said, the Lord will provide himself God will provide What would be sacrifice in this situation? And God provided the land for the Lord's God provided the land to be sacrificed. That the application is that God was preparing the way for the Passover to, to cover sins, a Passover to allow us to live and to be saved and to be rescued and a demonstration of God's righteousness. And these instructions, we can see the application of the amazing parallel to the life of Jesus. One, the Lamb was closely inspected with the laws. We look at the life of Jesus. He was, he was inspected by Pilate, Herod, Annas, Caiaphas, and none of them could find anything wrong. Every time he was inspected, every time in their false trials and, and their false witnesses and the lies that were told and everything that went on, every one of them said, I, I can't find anything wrong with him. And so they passed him off to someone else. And someone else inspected and found with no false, false, and blemish. 
establish a relationship here on this earth. The lamb had to die. Sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. People bowed to the What is the memorial service that we should do this towards the Lord? We take the bread which represents the body, we take the cup which represents the blood. And have we shared that?
about relationship. Leave the religion at the door. Bring your relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what life's about. Recently, a lead pastor, or uh, excuse me, a lead singer of a Christian band announced that he no longer believes in God. I find that sad. The reasons he, part of the reasons he gave was that uh, he doesn't understand how a God could let evil exist in this world. How he could send people to hell. Or why the Old Testament is so harsh and the New Testament is full of love. So let's, let's dwell into that a little bit. Why does God allow evil? Well, Satan thought he should take over. <laughs> he got thrown out of heaven. Communion with Adam and Eve, everything was great until they disobeyed him. They made a choice. And when they disobeyed, the propensity for evil entered man and has been there ever since. Why does God send people to hell? Now, that's where we have it wrong. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We all make that personal choice. We can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and have access to the Father. If we choose not to, then we've made the choice to go to hell. He didn't make it for us. We made it. He gave us free will. Why is the Old Testament harsh and the new one full of love? Well, because they had to live by the law in the Old Testament. And God knew that wasn't possible. So the New Testament is a new covenant by Jesus Christ. Because God wants that communion with each and every one of us. And to say that there's no harshness in the New Testament, you must have forgot the story of Jesus getting the whip out in the temple and driving out the money changers and the merchants. I would call that harsh, personally. Recently watched a uh, mini-documentary, a nine-part series called Christ Revealed. And in that, there are interviews with Christian apologetics, apologists. Now, <clears throat> sometimes that term gets a little misunderstood. A Christian apologist is not somebody who's apologizing for his faith. Quite the contrary. He's defending his faith. He knows why he believes what he believes, and he can demonstrate to you in the Bible why he believes what he believes. There were interviews with archaeologists who talk about the finds that they're making almost daily. They'll back up what the Bible says. It's not just some book written 2,000 years ago. They are unearthing things that prove the Bible. Science is not disproving the Bible. In fact, science is actually proving the Bible. We let the people in the world chatter in our ears. <laughs> and we need to tune them out. We need to do our own research. We're watching 
prophecies in the Bible being fulfilled before our eyes. A nation conceived in a day. A wasteland. It's no longer a wasteland. They export more varieties of fruits and vegetables than any other country on earth. And when they took over, it was a wasteland. You all heard the song, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. But the problem we have with that, as we start counting our blessings, it's like, oh, God, what, what happened to this one here? I, I asked for this other thing and you didn't give it to me. You give me these nine, but where's the, where's the one I asked for that, you know, I really wanted? And we dwell on the negative. That, that's not a healthy thing. Norman Vincent Peale made the comment that dwelling on the negative is like fertilizing weeds. And you all can figure out what happens when you fertilize weeds. It chokes out the good. And I'm sure you've heard the song, Some of God's Greatest Gifts Are Unanswered Prayers. That's true as well. <clears throat> I have a wife, wonderful wife, of almost 42 years. We've been married about 14 years. We started comparing notes of how we actually got together. I wasn't her first choice. She wasn't mine. But when we compared the notes, and mind you, we've been unmarried close to 14 years this time, we knew that God put us together. We'd known each other before, but God put us together. We try to put God in this box. You need to perform the way we want you to, when we want you to. But we need to remember that God is not a genie to pop out of a bottle and grant us a wish. He's not a magician, a master of deception. He's the creator of the universe. You have the two blind men come to Jesus and ask if they can be healed. Jesus asks them, do you believe I can do this? And they answer yes. So he puts hands on their eyes and as you believe, so be it. And they're healed. And then you have the man blind from birth. And the disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned? Him or his his parents? Jesus said, neither. He was born blind. So that God may be manifest in him. So he spits on the dirt. Mixes up the clay paetus and puts it on the man's eyes. And tells him to go to the pool of Salaam and wash it off. Now can't you just picture ourselves at this point? Why should I go wash this off? Why don't you just heal me like you did the last two? Just put your hands on me. We're done, you know? We want the easy way out. The easy way isn't always the right way. And that we need to understand... God knows what we need to do. It's about faith. Do you believe what Jesus Christ can do for you?
There was a <clears throat> pastor who would come once a month, and he would teach on the Holy Spirit. And after his teaching session was over, he would have people come forward for healing prayers. And he would always say, that I cannot heal anybody. Only God can heal. He says, I asked God what to tell people. God responded to him, just tell him you're one of my office assistants. A gentleman came forward for healing and the pastor asked him what he what his need was. And he says, I have a pain in my hip. So he instructed him to sit down in a chair and the pastor takes up a chair opposite him. And he tells the congregation frequently when a person has hip pain or back pain, it's because one leg is shorter than the other. He instructs the man to stretch out his feet to him. He puts one in each hand. And then he tells the congregation, watch his feet. He says, watch this left leg come out. And the left leg goes up. And then he has the man stand up. And he tells people, as he puts a hand on each side of the man's head, get a line of sight on his head, we're going to stretch him out. And he gets all done with that. And he asks the gentleman, how do you feel? Now, for the rest of the story, this man had gone to a chiropractor for many years. He knew he had a short leg. But here's the thing. The short leg he had was documented by x-rays. It was his right leg, not his left leg. He could just as easily have sat there in that chair and said, uh, that's the wrong leg, God. Uh, this, this can't be. Or he can accept the healing that he received. And I will tell you, I was in that service. Furthermore, I'll tell you, I was that gentleman. I know it took place. We need to let God out of the box. We need to get rid of our preconceived ideas of how God's supposed to act, the world's supposed to be. He's in control. We need to submit to Him. A young bride. She's anxious to go on her honeymoon. She grabs her two suitcases and she's got to go through this tall, narrow doorway. And she comes up to it and she can't get through. She backs up and tries it again. Still can't get through. So finally she puts one of her suitcases down, tries it again. She can't get through. She backs up again, puts both suitcases down, and goes through the door. I will tell you, that's an example of us with Christ. The baggage stays on the backside. When we become a believer in Christ, our sins are remembered no more. The baggage is on the backside. There was a prophet who was asked to go to a church. Never been there before. Church had never had a prophet. 
and the prophet's up on the stage waiting to be introduced. Looks out among the congregation. It's like, I'm not sure these folks are really ready for a move of the Holy Spirit here. Just handed the microphone and asked God, uh, give me something uh, really stellar here. We can get this, uh, <clears throat> move these people. And the word from God was, uh, go, go deal with the young lady's infertility. <laughs> now, God, uh, how about something else from that? It's, uh, <clears throat> no, you go deal with that first. The prophet wrestled with God a little bit more, and finally the silence <laughs> was becoming readily apparent. Goes over to the young lady and says, I'm supposed to deal with your infertility. And then, no, wait. It's not you. It's your husband. Is he here? There's a great gasp in the congregation. A prophet in the church has never heard a prophet. He's talking about someone's infertility. Can you imagine that? So the prophet turns to the congregation and says, God's told me what to pray. And I'm going to do it really quick, so I don't mean to offend anybody, but you can forget it if you need to. She goes over and she says, God has told me to bless your husband's sperm and you will have children. I bless your husband's sermon that they may be commando in Jesus' name. He stands back. The pastor jumps up, grabs the microphone. Pretty sure she's about ready to see the door, you know. Um, and the pastor starts to weep. He says, that young man you're talking about is my son. He has been undergoing treatment for several years for leukemia and just last week he was discharged from the hospital the last question that we asked the consultant was will he ever have children and we prayed to God will we ever have grandchildren You just answered that for me. I will tell you this. God knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows what you need before you need it. So if we have a song of invitation, and you need to know Jesus or make a commitment, now's the time.